Welcome to the Love is Coming podcast, the must-listen show for single women struggling to attain or sustain a romantic relationship. I'm your host, Persia Lawson, author, speaker, and according to the Times Magazine, one of the UK's most successful love coaches. Before that, I was a serial cheat and obsessive love addict, but I'm now a bride-to-be and in the best relationship of my life. So, If you're trying to do the work on your love life, you are definitely in the right place. But here on the Love is Coming podcast, we serve your education with a side of entertainment. Expect serious stuff talked about not so seriously, solo agony on episodes with yours truly, and guest episodes showcasing some of the best in the biz in ways you've never seen them before. So, got a dating dilemma? Swiping right but haven't yet found Mr. Right? then let's get raw, real, and a little bit inappropriate because love is coming for you, baby, in more ways than one. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am very excited for today's episode where I'm interviewing Dr. Soph Moore, who is a registered clinical psychologist described by the Times as the guru of Insta therapy. She's also the Sunday Times bestselling author of A Manual for Being Human. And I just realized just before we came on here, that it actually came out the day after my book came out. So I feel like there's some some magical synchronicity there. So Dr. Soph, like I have been binging your content for quite some time now. Um, I was alerted of you by, um, not alerted, that's not the right word. I like it, alerted. No, 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 it makes it sound like it's an emergency. Emergency, (laughs) you must go and see Dr. Soph's work now. (laughs) So I've got um, a wonderful girl on my team, Ness, who's also a doctor, Dr. Ness. And so she raved about you. So all the doctors telling um, telling me to check out your work, um, and it is brilliant. It's you've got an, this incredible calming energy about you. I don't know if you get said like get told that a lot, but I'm mainly just excited because I feel like by the end of this recording, I'm going to feel way more calmer than before we started. I just let you know that my dog had to have his bits chopped off this week, so I've been really stressed out. So. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. And also what a lovely introduction. I feel like I should warn you that I feel like I have two settings. Well, I have many, but two main settings. One is this very calming, um, hmm, tell me more. I'm going to think about that um, way of responding. And the other is a little bit more uh, hyperactive, a little bit more manic. And it often we never know quite what we're going to get because often if someone asks me a question that I find really exciting, I'll start speaking really quickly. So if you don't leave feeling calm, I hope that's okay too. We never know if I'm going to suddenly be like, oh my word, yes, yes, yes. Or, hmm, yeah. All right, well, maybe we'll let's see what happens. It. Let's see what happens. But either way, <laughs> I'm sure... It's going to work for me. It's going to work perfectly for me and take get me to stop thinking about my dog scrotum. I'm going to, I had to put the word scrotum in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> End of this episode. I love just it. Just to set the tone. It. Okay, yeah. right. <laughs> Let's just dive in straight away. Okay. Your mission is to help you or help us, me, mm. whoever, um, overcome our insecurities so that we can live the life we deserve. Mm. I'm really fascinated how you came about, like why that mission? Why is that important to you? Yeah, it's interesting. So that mission is more um, one that my publisher kind of put forward, if I'm totally honest. I would say, and it is interesting, you've written a book, you've written two books, um, 
it is interesting when you try and summarize your mission into one tagline, it often mm-hmm. does end up being quite unnuanced and missing a lot of information. Mm-hmm. So I would say that my mission is more uh, personally, getting psychology out of the therapy room and into people's lives in ways that make sense to them. Because for too long, that information has been kind of kept behind closed doors, behind paywall, paywalls, behind waiting lists, and then the ivory towers of academia. Mm-hmm. And that's really a problem because a lot of us will struggle at some point in our life. And you will struggle less if you already know how to cope how to understand your emotions than if you have to wait until you hit rock bottom to access that information. Mm -hmm. I could not agree more. It's interesting because when I started out in the self-development, my own personal journey before I got into the work, it was, gosh, over 11 years ago now, January 2011, I was in a sorry state because I'd absolutely Mm -hmm. hit rock bottom at that point. And I was also a skin actress and I could not afford therapy. So the way in for me, my parents were both addicts who got sober in my mid-teenage years. Mm. And I was so grateful because they, uh, I was aware of the 12 steps and all the different fellowships. And and to be honest, one of my main reasons, like I went to Al-Anon for friends and families Mm. of addicts and alcoholics, changed my life. But one of the main reasons I went was because it was free (laughs) or like, you know, donations. Absolutely. And it was, that's where I started. So you, you know, for me, I was, it was relationships. That's where I really hit my bottom and I really struggled. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought the only way to ever get support and help with our romantic life was traditional therapy. Yes, yes. So how... How can we like how why why is that why why was it that therapy was the only sort of seemed to be the only way that we could work on our love life? Well, I think because the as I said before, a lot of the information is held behind those barriers, right? So actually, not you know, there's a lot of stuff on Instagram that says everyone needs therapy. I don't agree with this. I agree, everyone can benefit from therapy, mm-hmm. but actually, a lot of people who are struggling with in their relationships or with emotions simply need what we would call psychoeducation, right? Which is a good grounding in understanding why we feel and behave and think the way we do. Mm-hmm. So often when we struggle in our relationships, someone will say, Oh, you need therapy. That is one course of action. But actually, maybe you just need someone who's impartial to talk with you about how you communicate to talk with you about recognizing patterns in your relationships. That could be your friend who's extremely wise. It could, in an ideal world, be the partner or the partners that you're dating in that moment. So I do think therapy is one option, but if we can get good quality understanding about relationships out into the public domain, it doesn't always have to be therapy that we see Mm. when we're struggling. And I feel that they're particularly in the last few years, and I think I actually think everything that's happened with this bloody virus mm. has accelerated, you know, uh, education in in a, in different forms. Mm. I have online programs, books, as we mentioned earlier, and I definitely saw in 2020, as I'm sure you did, a huge growth um, mm. in of people's interest in that. I'm realizing, oh, maybe I can I can do some work on myself because suddenly everyone was looking at themselves and their lives and particularly their relationships differently because you know I had a lot of women who were either single and locked down on their own or with flatmates mm-hmm. they hated or with their family I don't know you know depends which one is, is is worse or I had other women coming to me and saying I'm locked down with my partner and I want to kill him and I don't think yeah. and, and I'm stuck so I'm interested to see like what were you seeing in your work during the last sort of the pandemic 
Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, during the during the pandemic, during the which is still ongoing, obviously, but during the lockdown, I was just seeing heightened everything. So let's say someone came, for example, um, having panic attacks, and they'd reached a point where they were doing really quite well in understanding and managing their panic. When lockdown started, for a lot of them, the panic came back. Mm. Um, people who, for example, felt like they had eating disorders that were in the past noticed that the tendency to want to restrict their eating or to binge came back temporarily. And in terms of relationships, exactly what you're saying. I was working with people who are experiencing deep loneliness. People who prior to the pandemic had loved living alone, had never seen it as a source of loneliness, had found great solitude and joy in living alone, um, up to couples, um, people in larger relationships, uh, finding it really overwhelming, spending that much time with people. I am pleased to say, though, that a lot of people I've also seen people who prior to the pandemic would have said they have an avoidant attachment style and need a lot of space from their partner. I've seen some of those people actually find it so um, so transformative having a year trapped in the house with the other person mm. transformative not in the way they'd imagined I know a lot of people who at the beginning were like I need a lot of space for my partner and by the end had found this quiet but beautiful contentment in having spent so much time with someone they'd normally keep trying to avoid <laughs> so I think there's been a real range of experiences that have come out of um, lockdown and actually you know I said the people with panic who their panic came back that didn't happen for everyone mm. well the best thing was some people who previously had really struggled suddenly saw everyone struggling and felt like oh I'm now not the only person um, having a difficult time and they actually started to feel much more calm so everyone I saw was affected differently but if you do work in private healthcare psychology um, I think a lot of a lot of psychologists would agree they saw much more distress than they would have done had the pandemic not have happened. Mm. It's certainly been a, a, a shake up for all of us. And I yes. think that, you know, I think there's great value to be had in it. I certainly oh. have been forced to confront some things I really didn't want to look at. Yes. Um, and I think I think that's it, isn't it? It's it's choosing, you know, we haven't been given a choice. This is what's happened. Mm. and We've all been subjected to it. Um, but it's how you choose to show up. And I am grateful that I had done so much work on myself already and I had a very strong toolkit um, mm. because it did enable me to support those women who had done nothing and were like, ah, you know, it was like, it was a really intense way to, to dive into this work. Yeah, 100%. And I think what's what's important to point out here is though, even if you'd done a lifetimes of work, lifetime of work if you suddenly found yourself in pandemic without access to any of the resources you normally find help mm. such as I don't know groups of friends such as exercise um nothing you know sometimes we can think we have everything that will support our mental health something rips the rug out from underneath our feet and we are ill-equipped even though we've done years of work yeah. just wanted to point that out there you know yeah. that some people will struggle even though yeah. And I absolutely did. You know, I definitely did. And when I look back, like I, I look back at last year and I think I looked through pink clouds and I, I had a really good setup of, of yes. where I did the, that first lockdown, the really long one. And we were lucky yeah. in um, the UK well, where we were. The weather was amazing, which was yes, great. Like the what best, I found, best summer ever. It was yeah. so good. 
this year, we had just moved house on the 29th of December, moved out, left all our friends, family, everything. And um, the first four months in this new house were in lockdown. And it was yes. January, February, yeah. like miserable weather. The weather's been crap this year. Yes, and so, that, so this year, and, and I actually think a lot of people have found this year a lot harder. Yeah. yeah. Also, um, do you remember um, last year people would think, well, I can do this for a month or I can yeah. do this for like a few months, but surely we'll be back in the office in September. Well, we're <laughs> now November the following year. Yeah. And there is just a point where you do start to feel like, oh my word, is there any hope of this changing? Yeah, and it's hope that keeps us going. I can do this for a finite amount of time as long as yeah. there's a sign of it ending. Yeah. Yeah. It's like exams or I don't know, writing a book. <laughs> yes. yes. Ah, yes, exactly. So you mentioned attachment styles just now and um, a bit earlier, and this is something that comes up all the time. I feel like it's a really hot topic. And mm. I also think there's quite a lot of confusion Very around, much. firstly, what the hell are they? And like, what? why are they important? Why is it significant for us to know about attachment styles? Mm. Well, it's really interesting because attachment styles have been around, we've known about them for decades, you know, pre you and I being born. And, um, but they're gaining more and more airtime. And I do worry that sometimes they're gaining airtime in a very unnuanced way. So just some kind of things to put out there first. Um, I don't talk about attachment styles in order to blame parents, because we're going to talk about them developing when your first few years of life. Um, I talk about attachment styles so that you can understand why you maybe feel a certain way Mm -hmm. when you meet people, date people, have friendships with people. So that's the first thing. It's not about parent blaming. Mm -hmm. Second thing is, if you discover your attachment style, it doesn't mean you're always going to be like that. You are not doomed, right? Mm -hmm. If you find out that you uh, have, for example, an avoidant attachment style, or an anxious attachment style, you can later on to go on to feel securely attached. I realize we haven't talked about what these labels mean yet, but we'll get to it. And also you could feel securely attached and then date someone who cheats on you or really hurts you and it changes. And that's the next thing. They aren't always fixed. So for example, you might notice uh, that you've dated someone who made you feel incredibly anxious, but your boss at work makes you feel incredibly calm or around certain friends, you never get anxious at all. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about them, but they are not fixed. They can change. And I'm not starting a conversation about parent blaming. <laughs> yeah, can <laughs> I, I just say I'm there with you? Because <laughs> yes. my, the, the, my work, I have a program and at the beginning, we look at childhood and stuff, but I always have to say that mm. because I've had parents, you know, friends of mine say, oh, there we go blaming the parents like no no no. it's to understand and it's also to realize like we're all human we all make mistakes and you know it's not about that it's not about placing the blame 100% and um yeah I just think at the moment there's so much pressure on parents to be perfect and caregivers to be perfect that I don't want to add to that conversation yeah um so Essentially, there are quite a few different attachment styles, but I'm only going to focus on three because the fourth one is only about 2% of the population. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's the secure attachment style. This is what we call, um, well, this is what I would really love to have. Um, But basically about 50% of the population have a secure attachment style. They learned early on that their caregivers, the important people in their life, would respond um, in the ways they needed them to when they needed them to do it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they were never allowed to struggle. It doesn't mean they never, you know, never cried out. It just means that their needs were met appropriately for them early on. So they learned 
other people can be there for me. Now, if you have a secure attachment style, it means that throughout life, you have this wonderful, not egotistical belief that other people can be there for you and want to be. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm going to talk about the other two. These fall into what we'd call an insecure attachment style. I have an avoidant attachment style, so I'm outing myself so no one thinks this is a judgmental conversation. Now, if your caregivers or the important people in your life missed your needs, that's slightly different to purposefully didn't meet them, right? Some people will miss your needs purposefully. Some people will have been busy. They'll have been dealing with their own mental health situation. They've been trying to put food on the table. They haven't had the experience of being nurtured or having their needs met when you were young. If your caregivers or important people missed your needs, you adapted the way that you responded to them in order to stay close so that you could survive and thrive. Now, people tend to fall into what I call the cat or the dog approach, okay? So an anxious attachment style, this is where you're like a puppy. You know how puppies bump, jump up and down? They're like, hey, hey, I'm here, pick me, pick me. Yes. <laughs> so a child who had a, a caregiver intermittently meet their needs, so sometimes getting it exactly right and other times just missing it, may learn early on, if I keep initiating contact at some point, they're going to give me the care and the support I need. Mm -hmm. So just like a puppy, they're like, hi, 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 I'm over here. <laughs> they center that important person on the, in their mind. They might have been called the clingy child. Right, Again, right. no judgment. How smart is that? The child adapts mm -hmm. to make sure they get their needs met. Mm -hmm. As an adult, however, that may mean that when you date, for example, you notice that you become quite preoccupied with that person that you're dating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Almost like an overzealous gardener, you might start overwatering the seeds of a new relationship because mm -hmm. you're like, hello, how are you? And then the next thing they pull away, you're like, oh, we'll give them a bit more attention. And then they come back in and give them a bit more attention. And it can, not always, some people love that, but it can sometimes flood the seeds of relationship. Because like a puppy, you're like, hi, hi, hi. Okay. If you fall into what we call the cat style, this is where your caregiver consistently missed your needs. You could have one caregiver who's perfectly there, but the other person wasn't. You learned early on, there's no point in me initiating contact because I'm never going to get my needs met. So to manage this, just like a cat, you become hyper-independent. You stop initiating care. In fact, these children tend to stay in the room near their caregiver but without actually making any bids for attention. Right. That's smart because it means that that anxiety, if they're not going to get my need, um, they're not going to meet my needs, never really tips you over the edge. So as an adult, this is where you, again, like a cat, initiate relationships. But, you know, it's always on your own terms. If someone gets a little bit too close, you back away, you disappear. So these are three of the main ways uh, that we might interact with people in our adult life. And we can see from this, I hope from this explanation, that it maps very clearly onto how we adapted as children to get our needs met. Mm, that was so helpful. That was such a helpful breakdown. So, okay, I'm definitely avoidant. Um, <laughs> definitely that one. Um, but I, it, I'm interested. So with that information, mm -hmm. say we notice, I'm sure everyone has listened to that and kind of probably could put themselves in one of those mm. three predominantly, of course, yes. we can go around to, to each yes. of them in there. Um, how, if the goal is, I guess, 
to become more secure in our attachment mm. because that sounded lovely. Doesn't it? <laughs> Doesn't it sound glorious? <laughs> yes. yes. How might we we help ourselves to do that? Mm. Yes. So I think firstly, it is really helpful to identify where you think you are predominantly, but also uh, think about it per relationship, because I'm just going to put it out there that I have an avoidant attachment style, which means that I could literally see someone's shoes that I was on a date with and think, Ugh, don't like those shoes. And then suddenly don't fancy them at all. It's over. Your brain is looking for every opportunity to shut down potential connection. If you have an avoidant attachment style, it's trying to keep you safe. So even though I have that though, I once dated someone who out avoidanted me. That's not a scientific term. (laughs) Um, And but because they were more avoidant than me for the first time in my life, it sent me into an anxious attachment. style. I suddenly was filled with anxiety and desperate to connect to them. Mm -hmm. So Think about your overall attachment style, but also think about how you are in each of the relationships that you're wanting to tackle. Mm -hmm. Firstly, take away any shame around the behavior. The reason I'm saying this is because often people who seek support for their relationships tend to fall more into the anxious category. They tend to beat themselves up saying, I'm so needy, I'm so clingy, what's wrong with me? So recognize there's a reason that you feel this way and that it's to do with your very smart way of adapting to your circumstances as a child or now. And then I could talk about this for hours, but so as not to pour an ocean into anyone's cup, but I'm just going to point out one thing. That is Think about communication. This is really the answer to everything. If you're not totally overwhelmed by relationships, the first place to start is communicate. If you have the anxious attachment style, what is it that's causing your anxiety in this relationship? Is it, for example, that you text them and they don't text back for hours or days? Is it that you say, I really like you? And they go, thanks. And don't say anything more. Think about what you want. Think about what's happening and communicate that. If it's the text, it's, um, it would be great if I could hear from you a little bit more. Would that work for you? If it's um, the I say how I feel and you don't respond, it's, oh, I've noticed that recently I've been telling you a lot how I feel and I haven't heard anything in return. Can we talk about that? Mm. Very direct communication, giving the other person a chance to respond will help get your needs met because if you have an anxious attachment style actually that anxiety will go away when you know that the other person cares about you it's amazing it's Mm -hmm. it's not always going to be there if you have the avoidant attachment style communication may look a little bit different such as um it was really lovely seeing you last night I realized this morning I've totally switched off I promise it's got nothing to do with you. It's just sometimes I get a little bit flooded by deep connection. I just need some time out, but I promise I'll be back in eight hours. And then this is the important thing as an avoidant person. What can I do in order to ensure that you know that I'm not just disappearing? Oh, God, I wish I'd had that a decade ago. <laughs> I mean, you know, me too, because I just literally can disappear for days. And I used to think it's because I was really cool and really independent. No, I was totally shut down because I was totally overwhelmed by relationships. Mm-hmm. So communication. And there are obviously lots more things I'd suggest, but there is just one more thing I'd say, which is 
if you fall into either the avoidant or the anxious camp, be very aware of when you're dating or in a friendship with or a family relationship with someone who's the opposite to you. Mm. Because avoidant people and anxious people often end up in this incredibly painful cycle yeah. where they, they're like drawn to each other in the beginning, like, oh, this is so delicious and exciting. Then the uh, void person starts to get flooded, so starts to pull back. Well, what does the puppy do? The puppy leans in further and the cat pulls out further and the puppy leans in further. And do you see what I mean? And we end, everyone's in pain. Yeah. It's horrendous. So be hyper aware of whether you're in that situation. And again, turn back to communication. You constantly need to be talking about what each person needs and able to listen to each other. Mm. Oh my God, this is so helpful. This is so, so helpful. Okay, so I'm going to give you a situation that I get told about all Mm. the time and I've been in myself, we've all been in it. You've kind of touched on it there, but I want to go deeper and it is the hot and cold. So say you're dating a guy and you've you've had a, it's early days, like two or three Mm. dates in, you've had a physical connection with this person and you really like them. And when you're together, they seem really present and it feels amazing. And you, you're like, oh, 100%, I know they like me. But yeah. when you're apart, they've got their own life going, whatever. And, and they're, they're not messaging you very yeah. frequently. But then they'll, send, then they'll send you a message that seems they want to meet up again. So you're, you're in that place where you're like, is it, isn't it, isn't it? And, and yes. you get so confused by that. Yeah. How do you navigate that? Can I give three answers? Yes, you can. Okay. Okay. It's <laughs> because firstly, I don't every every person who experiences what looks the same on the surface may be experiencing this for different reasons. Okay. And considering we're talking about this at about three <sighs> or four dates in, I just want to talk about two things first. The first thing is when we date, we time travel. Okay. When you've dated someone three or four times, they are still, I'm afraid to say, a full stranger. Yes, <laughs> a full stranger. Because even if, let's say, the first night you met them, you went home with them and spent the next morning with them, that means you've only known them for, let's say, so that's three or four dates, potentially four times eight hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if there was a new, if there was a friend in your life, you wouldn't say, oh my God, I know everything about this friend after this amount of time. Mm-hmm. That's basically four days of work. That's nothing. You know, if you've been in a job for four days, you wouldn't say, I know everything about this job. I have an opinion about it. You'd be like, I'm still finding my way. Yeah. But when we date, we pay attention to um, very small amounts of information and fill in the gaps. So we're like, oh my word, this person's so amazing. We like the same bands. We went to the same, I don't know, uh, we went to the same cafes. Uh, they really like the same booze as me. And suddenly like, it's love, right? Or they mentioned they want to go to the same holiday place that I've always thought about going to. And suddenly it's love. So we then interpret their lack of texting in between as being really, really meaningful. If this person really liked me, they'd message me. Well, actually, they're still a stranger. And so therefore not messaging all the time is quite normal in this early phase. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So first thing is, Really consider where you even are in this relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second thing is you have to really consider what your expectations are around dating and relationships. And this is really important because aside from attachment styles, we all have different expectations of the people in our lives. Mm-hmm. Right. I actually don't expect people to text me that much because 
often I go through phases of not really wanting to text people, not because I'm not thinking about them, just because I'm busy. Right? Mm-hmm. But also when it comes to my concept of love, for example, I grew up in a family where no one was still together. Right? Everyone is divorced. Um, other people grew up with a very Disney type narrative, right? That you'll find the one and they'll go to the end of the earth to find you. Uh, some people grow up around stories such as love is a ball and chain, right? This is really important. And it, if you can think about what your expectations of dating look like, friendship look like, and love look like, you can then kind of hold them up to the light and say, is that true? Do I, If I expect, for example, that the person who really loves me, who's right for me, is going to know everything I need and they're going to text me the exact right amount. Um, you, if that was my belief, I'd really have to start like challenging it, right? So you can hold your belief up and you say, is this actually true? Am I putting expectations on this person texting me in ways that is different to what they expect for the period of dating that we're in? Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Because I think we often talk about love and dating. The things, love is really the most fundamental thing all humans are looking for. It's just, we don't have any clear definition for it. Mm -hmm. So if you're panicking about where you are in your relationship, you want to think about your expectations and think what even is love. And you might want to ask that person, what do you think love is? And what do you think dating is? And how often do you normally text people? Just get that conversation out. Um, and then the third bit is we're going to go back to communication again. If you are dating someone and you want them to text you more, you can just ask for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because this hot and cold behavior can happen for multiple reasons. One is the person likes you, but doesn't think they need to text you because they're going to see you on Friday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might happen because the other person has an avoidant attachment style where they've texted you, they've kind of hit a barrier of intimacy and now they just need time out and they're going to appear again. They might not like you, right? Reason three, might not like you. Which is what everyone thinks it is. Yes, exactly. They might not like you and that may be the reason. And again, by communicating, hey, it'd be cool if you could text me some more or um, how do you think things are going, right? Giving them an opportunity to tell you how they feel is going to help you with that next step. And the fourth thing is, some people are just assholes. Sorry. <laughs> but this is really important, right? Because yeah. I kind of, I'm giving you a lots of different reasons, but some people, you will do your best at communicating to them your expectations around relationships. You'll do your best at understanding their attachment style and at asking them how they feel about you. But a small percentage of those people are going to lie to you, right? (laughs) They are going to say, oh, babe, no, it's fabulous. I'm having such a great time and disappear in between because they don't actually care because they treat people continuously like this. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's really hard to predict what percentage of the people you're dating are going to be like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying this because I know this is really gray area, but earlier we talked about being prepared for the pandemic. Like if you've done lots of psychological work, then you then you feel like you should have entered into the pandemic feeling really resilient. Actually, you can do the most incredible amount of work on your attachment style. You can feel like you really understand dating. Your communication skills are on point and still sometimes be direct derailed by someone you're dating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I realized that was a massive answer to one no, question. No, no, no. That was so helpful. And it's now led me to another question. Go for it. Go for I can it. hear like my audience in, in my head and also what I would have once asked, because this isn't a problem yes. for me now. Yes. And it massively was back in the day. Yeah. So on the one hand, 
I may have presented as very confident, extrovert, like, di- like well, I don't know if direct would, <laughs> in a way, direct in some, in some yeah. ways. But when it came to something as simple as you said, okay, communicating, um, hey, I'd love it if you if you could text me more or whatever. One of those one mm. of those scripts lines, I would be like, oh, but <clears throat> I can't yeah. because he'll think I'm desperate. He'll think this, he'll th- and I'd go into a whole story because my whole thing was gotta gotta play it cool and aloof. Cannot yeah. the worst thing anyone could think is that I'm desperate or needy. I refuse to allow that to be my identity. Yeah. And this is I see women who are top 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 of the game in their career, and yet. For some reason, they you know this uh, this kind of hot cold dynamic with a guy sends them into tailspin, and the idea of being vulnerable with them, even to that in that kind of non big deal away, just to say yeah. hey, I'd love it if you text me more. They 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 can't fathom it. So how do you get to that place where you can actually voice it? Well, so practice is going to be the the summary of the whole answer. But I'd love to hear how you got there. Practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. This is what I say to clients: like the first time you do it. It'll be horrific. Yeah. I the guy before. I, I always have this with clients as well. There's like the guy before the guy, and they often mm-hmm. are the ones that they. T- I've seen this so many times. It's like around three months this dynamic, and mm-hmm. it's where you've been doing work on yourself, and now you're practicing the stuff. Yes, and it feels really uncomfortable because you're not used to it. But yes. if I hadn't done that with that guy, who ultimately it didn't work out with, but my God. I wouldn't be with my now fiance if it hadn't been for that guy. So, and this kind of moves us on to the next thing I want to chat about, um, feeling like a failure. You know, so many women, particularly in their thirties or early Mm forties who, 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 um, get in touch with me feel like a failure because whilst their career's going super well, their love life is not, and they feel like the only one Mm -hmm. and their identity becomes completely wrapped up in that. And then I think that's why they find it so hard to communicate because they think that's going to make it, that might make it worse. 100%. So, um, so many things to say about that one. Well done. How fantastic that you put yourself out there confronting a really, really scary thing, which is vulnerability. Um, Yes, I realise when I say communication is key, whilst it is true, it is a kind of glib statement, isn't it? It's actually much easier said than done. Um, And so it's funny because when when I say practice, sometimes the first practice is like on your own in a mirror. I don't know if you've ever done this yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was used to that from acting days. So that was one. Oh, amazing. Yes, 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 yes. So you almost... um, you almost at first want to decide on in an ideal world, if I wasn't me and was able to voice my concerns, what would I say? Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, we start there because sometimes the thing that we want to say is rather more aggressive than is actually useful. Like, why are you bloody taxing me? I nearly, you know, used a much more serious swear word. Um, when we, when we uh, criticize people rather than ask for what we need, we make their defenses go up rather than get, you know, um, allow them to listen to us. So first thing is we think about what we would say probably if we were uncensored, then we take some time away, calm down, think about, okay, what is the need I'm trying to get met? We write that down. We have a statement. You don't use it straight away. You stay it in front of the mirror. You maybe practice it on friends, but you practice it enough so that when it comes to it, it rolls off the tongue more easily or you send it in text. The beauty of sending in a text is you send the text, you throw your phone in panicked state across the other side of the room and then you leave the house. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you come back and read it later. But it is really important to identify what your fear thought is. If you're thinking, if I voice this concern and they think I'm needy, 
then, then what? What do you fear, fear is going to happen? I fear that they're going to leave me, right? You want to think about your fear. Then you want to think about, okay, if I kind of come with wise mind rather than panicked mind, does this statement such as, it would be great to chat more, actually sound needy? You might want to speak to your friends. Do they think a statement like that sounds needy? Then you're going to practice. You start small and you build up from there. Now, the thing about failure is a slightly different thing. And I do think it's very much something in that only truly happens um, in people socialized as women. Um, obviously, I am sure that there are many uh, people who are socialized as men who do feel sometimes like a failure for not being in a relationship. But because when we are little girls, it's very much that every story that we're told, every story that we're sold involves us finding a prince charming, these very heteronormative uh, stories. We do tie up our self-worth in finding this significant other, which means that absolutely, as you say, I work with a lot of women who feel like they failed because they haven't found this magical other person. In reality, dating, if you're uh, dating, if you're not polygamous, it's a two-way street, right? That means every time you date, there's two people involved. You're only able to be responsible for 50% of the situation. Mm -hmm. What we never talk to people about early enough on, I think, is chance. Yeah. We assume that if we're in a relationship, if we're not in a relationship, somehow we failed. No. Sometimes you won't meet someone who is right for you. Not in a certain time scale. My Nana met her last boyfriend at 80 at the Tesco cheese counter. Oh, right? there's hope for us all. <laughs> I know. And she was, oh, she's amazing. They like reached for the same piece of cheese. I mean, oh, it's just gorgeous. I love that. Right. So firstly, there's, we might not meet people straight away who are right for us. That's just chance. Secondly, these timelines a lot of us have internalized are simply inaccurate and ageist, particularly against women. If you think about the movies that you watch each day, often the female lead is about 20 years younger than the male. Mm-hmm. I think they just showed that um, in the most recent James Bond, the oldest one was 36 and he's 57 or something like that. So again, the timelines are extremely ageist and for women it's particularly challenging. So we really need to tackle this idea that our worth is bound by us dating. We need to challenge these ideas of timelines and we need to recognize that it is not a personal failure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes purely by chance, we won't find someone within this very restrictive timeline. doesn't mean you won't ever. Yes. But certainly beating yourself up is not how you're going to feel confident Mm -hmm. to get out there and keep dating. Mm -hmm. It's a one way ticket, really, to licking your wounds in bed, Mm -hmm. which is also fine to do, by the way. I often pull the duvet over my head and think, (laughs) oh, today's too much. I'm not going out there. Yeah. A little bit of self-compassion is really key when you're feeling like that. So. Oh, I could sit here and talk to you all day. Like this has been amazing. And I think um, I know that so many of the women who listen are going to really resonate with this. So I want to, I'm going to have to bring us to the home straight questions, I call them. Firstly, bit of admin, where can people find out more about your work, your book, et cetera? 
So um, it's funny. I always have to pause because I have to remind myself how my Instagram is spelt. Um, there's someone else called Dr. Soph on Instagram. She has a private account. I do not know who she is. Uh, I think she probably hates me because she gets tagged in loads of stuff. Um, but it, you can find me at, at underscore D-R-S-O-P-H on Instagram. Uh, my book, A Manual for Being Human, is available wherever you buy your books. And at the moment, it's in two languages, but it's coming out in 11, I think, oh, so uh, which is really exciting. Um, and you can find me on my website, drsof.com. Perfect. We will put those links in the show notes. OK, so what love life advice would you give to your 15 year old self? Oh, my word. Um <laughs> Okay. Um, sex is not the only way to to um, have a relationship with someone. I think, and I do uh, think a lot of people, not all people with avoidant attachment styles, but a lot of people with avoidant attachment styles will resonate with this. The idea that an intimate connection is so intense for you that sex feels like the only safe way to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I'd have a conversation with uh, my 15-year-old self saying, actually you're you're okay you're allowed to be intimate with someone emotionally you won't implode even if they reject you you'll survive it mm-hmm. and sex is fun but you know what so is also like hanging out with someone chatting with them uh wearing your most comfy and unsexy clothes drinking tea talking all hours um yeah so actually now I've said that the piece of advice would be even if you get rejected you can survive it you don't have to hold people at arm's length all the time Mm, gosh, I wish uh, you could tell my 15-year-old self that. Oh, believe me, my 15-year-old self would not listen. Yeah, she'd be like, right. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so this question always an, gets an interesting response. What's one thing you don't want people to know about you? Oh, oh my God, okay. Um... Oh my goodness, ah, what's the answer? I feel like I'm an open book. Mm. So I'm pretty honest about almost everything. Hmm. What's the one thing I don't want people to know about me? Probably how anxious I am. Mm. Um, but that I also tell people, because I'm. it's really hard for me to answer that. I used to have panic attacks and I don't have panic attacks. So when I say anxious, in, okay, I'm rephrasing it. Gosh, thinking on the spot, intimidated. I would hate for people to know how often I'm intimidated when I meet new people. <laughs> oh my God, I am completely there with you. I think people would be really surprised. Do you really do surprised. Do? Just talk, just talk, fill the Yes, 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 just, yes, yes. And I just, yeah. it's like I'm watching myself do it. And yes. I'm such a shock fuck up yes yes exactly I am horribly intimidated by people the good news is that my 15 year old self would have been horribly intimidated and then might have made snap judgments about people in order to protect myself so you know I might have met someone that I thought was really cool or really successful and then been like well I don't like them anyway you know before yeah. we've even spoken um whereas now often when I realize I'm intimidated I come at it with a much more curious and compassionate stance like Oh, what is it about them that makes you feel intimidated? Mm. Does that mean that you're feeling a little bit vulnerable right now? Mm-hmm. And if I hear a snap judgment, I'm like, this says more about you, Sophie, than it does about them. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, totally relate to that one. Okay, so final question, Dr. Yeah. Soph, a wonderful guest. The number one piece of advice for any single women who are listening to this episode 
they haven't met a life partner yet and they really, really long to, but they're worried they won't. Oh, okay. I'm going to give a slightly side sideways answer. That is, it's not unfeminist to want this. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> um, I think, because I think that so many people feel this way, they just really want connection and love. Mm-hmm. And then they read all these very empowering, I get it, I say these things too, statements such as being signals amazing. You don't need other people to complete you. I agree with these things. But at the same time, there's nothing more human than wanting love and connection. There isn't. Mm-hmm. And it is not unfeminist to want it. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm, that's, so, that's exactly what uh, I think needed to be shared in a really different response than we usually get. And I think it's important because I've, I've had, I've had women message me on, you know, on social media saying, don't you think you're, what you're suggesting is really um, unfeminist. Mm. Uh, And I said, no, I'm, I'm here to support women who desire to have a healthy, soulful, lasting relationship. I'm not forcing you to have one. Yes. How to want that? You know, yes. I I I was an absolute nightmare in my love life for such a long time, you know, and I did a lot of work on it and I have an incredible relationship now. It's not perfect, but my god, do I learn so much about myself and I and I love being part of of the a team with him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that makes me a bad feminist. No, absolutely not. You know, like feminism is about the equality of all genders. It's not about pretending you don't have needs. Yeah. Why do you think that that's, I know this this last question is being eked out a bit, but why do you think that that is being put out there? Um, well, I think I think it comes from a really important place, which is historically women have been the property of men. Yes. Um, you know, the word I don't know how to say it out loud, chattel, chattel. Women were chattel, um, which literally means they were owned by men. Um, and so it was incredibly important that this narrative came out, that this truth came out, which is women do not need this in order to be worthwhile, in order to be good enough to exist in this planet. Um, It's just that when that story is taken that little bit too far, suddenly then we feel guilty for even wanting love and connection. Mm. And I do think, and we see this all the time, whenever a big idea is challenged, we go from uh, one idea to the exact opposite, and then we have to come back to the middle. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, completely. I mean, it's true with with a lot of things. Um, My love life, well, you know, it it was everything. Yes. Nothing, you know. Yes. And so it is, it's it's there. I think didn't but or someone very profound says something about take taking the middle path. I heard yes. Elizabeth Gilbert talk about it. I can't remember the exact quote, but she yeah. she says that that's how she tries to live her life now is to not to not be super extreme like she used to be, just to try and yeah. come back gently, calmly, slowly to the middle path, which does not yes. come easily to me, but I'm really working on it. Yeah, but you know what? Um, almost everything we do that's important is life work. Right. As in you don't just you don't achieve um, a compassionate mind overnight, then it never goes. Then it uh, then never insult yourself again. Mm-hmm. You don't achieve calm overnight and never feel anxious again. Mm-hmm. Um, almost everything we do that's important is about starting each new day saying, right, starting that again. Here we go. What I'm always aiming for. And it's a life work. Yes, Absolutely is. Listen, Dr. Sophie, you've been the most wonderful guest. And what we were saying at the beginning of the episode, I feel both sort of calm and inspired and like ready to take my dog out for a walk. <laughs> oh, we haven't talked about his balls. 
well, at least oh 20 gosh, minutes. I know. I have not mentioned the show. <laughs> he's like lying down, curled up in the littlest ball. He is so cute. He's so what a dreamboat. Cute. Well, it was lovely, lovely, lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much. And I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I really do hope these episodes help you find dates that become mates and flings that become things with men who are ready, willing, and able to actually commit. Please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and leave me a review if you're getting value from these episodes. This helps the podcast rank higher so it can reach other people who want or need the support. To have your question answered, send it over to podcast at persialawson.com and we'll get to it ASAP. See you next week, gorgeous. I release a new episode every Tuesday. But until then, remember, love is coming for you. So surrender to the festival that is life on planet Earth and trust that what misses you was not meant for you and what's meant for you will not miss you, including your soulmate. <laughs>